the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. the Nick D podcast. Hello, everybody. I'm Nick DeGilio. It is episode 139 of the Nick D podcast as part of the Radio Misfits podcast network. You should check out all the amazing podcasts and really great things that Radio Misfits provides. Check out radiomisfits.com. And by the way, we are now streaming 24-7 free uh, all the time. And you can check out radiomisfits.live, which is live streaming of everything great that you can hear as part of the Radio Misfits podcast network, including uh, all the shows and music and unheard music and uh, all the great podcasts and stuff. It's 24-7 live streaming for free, radiomisfits.live. And if you want to hear this podcast, the Nick D podcast, it is broadcast daily at 3 p.m. Central. And my other podcast about Saturday Night Live, which is That Show Hasn't Been Funny in Years, you can hear that daily at 9 a.m. So both of my podcasts, that show, it hasn't been funny in years, 9 a.m. Uh, daily uh, on uh, RadioMisfits.live, and this podcast, the Nicky Podcast, 3 p.m. daily at RadioMisfits.live. Now, 24-7 streaming, you can also always go to every platform and subscribe <clears throat> and um, and check us out that way and download us, and it'll pop up in your in your phone and in your device, and you can listen to us anytime. Also, if you want to advertise with us for the Nick D Podcast, please do. You can hear it live streaming. You can download it. It's available on every platform. Lots of people listen, so it'll be good if you want to advertise. Sales at RadioMisfits.com. Say, I want to advertise with the Nick D Podcast and Radio Misfits. Sales at RadioMisfits.com. Want to be a part of the podcast? Leave a voicemail. 24-7. It's open. And we've got voicemails. Actually, we're going to get to a little bit later on. We want to hear from you. Suggestions, questions, comments. If you have an SNL suggestion for my other podcast, if you have a request for the Magic Megaphone, please leave them. 773-417-6948. Call now or drop us an email anytime you want. Comments, questions, suggestions, all of that stuff. We want to hear from you. We love to hear from you. NickDPodcast at gmail.com. My thanks to Jason Skaggs down in Houston doing all the music and the themes and the fun stuff. And Ed and everybody at Radio Misfits uh, Podcast Network, RadioMisfits.com, and RadioMisfits.live. Uh, it is a Tuesday. That means my dad is going to stop by and uh, tell a joke. Esmeralda Leon will be here. We're going to catch up on stuff that we uh, haven't gotten to in the past. We've got a megaphone message to get to, a couple of voicemails to play back, um, and we've got a lot of fun stuff to talk about with Esmeralda. Plus, my dad's going to stop by and tell a joke. And uh, that means, of course, this. Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, and I love Nick's show. I know you do, baby. So she's here as well. And my guest uh, for his every other week visit is Dan Feinberg, the greatest TV critic and the most intelligent TV writer in the world. He's been with me for many years. You can check out thefineprint.com. That's F-I-E-N, thefineprint.com. And we are going to talk about a lot of TV, new stuff, older stuff, and 
what's happening with the Writers Guild strike, which is going to affect TV hugely. And we'll get Dan's insight on that as well. So that's what's coming up on the program. We have a live version of this podcast that's happening on Tuesday, May 16th at Zany's in Rosemont, Illinois, centrally located in downtown Rosemont. Easy to get to right off the expressway. Free parking. It is great. It's located in a, in a really cool Rosemont Mall area with lots of restaurants and, and bars around so you can make a night of it, have some dinner, and then come and see our live show. Esmeralda won't be there. She's going to be in Vegas. But uh, uh, Amy Guth is going to be my co-host, the wonderful, the hilarious, the awesome Amy Guth, who's a regular on my show. She will be my co-host. And Jim Flanagan, one of the best and funniest stand-up comedians in the world, is going to be our guest. We give away great prizes. We'll have apt electronic gift cards to give away, dinners to uh, the greatest restaurant on the planet, the Gale Street Inn in Jefferson Park. Uh, to give away. You will be part of the show. We are taping a live podcast event. You'll be there in the audience, laughing up, having a great time. Bring your friends, bring your neighbors, bring everybody. Let's pack the joint for a lot of fun. Some great stand-up comedy from Jim Flanagan. My dad closing the show with some jokes on stage. We're having a great time doing these monthly get-togethers at Zanies and Rosemont, and we want you to be a part of it. Don't miss out. This stuff is so much fun. It's great. I guarantee you, you'll have a great time. We hang out afterwards and take pictures and uh, sign stuff and, you know, all kinds of cool stuff. So please come out. Jim Flanagan, Amy Guth, me, live on stage. You, interactive. We'll play some trivia. We'll give away some prizes. You will laugh your ass off. You'll be part of a live podcast recording in one of the greatest stand-up comedy places and clubs in the world. So, Zanies in Rosemont. Check out rosemont.zanies.com. Get your tickets right now. For the Nick D Podcast Live, just look for it there, rosemont.zanies.com. It's Tuesday, May 16th, um, Tuesday, May 16th, showtime at 7.30, doors open at 6.30. Get your tickets now. If you want to call the box office and order your tickets that way for the Nick D Podcast Live, 847-813-0484, or get your tickets now for Tuesday, May 16th, Zanies and Rosemont, rosemont.zanies.com. It's going to be a fantastic night, the Nick D Podcast Live. Be there or be square. Very quickly, I would like to thank Christy for a very cool email, which is about my other podcast. And if you don't subscribe to my other podcast, you should, because it's called That Show Hasn't Been Funny in Years, and it is a deep dive every week into the world of Saturday Night Live, the best sketch comedy show, the legendary comedy show. I've been watching it since the first episode in 1975, and I'm not kidding. I am an expert, uh, and I am, uh, I am incredibly knowledgeable. And I love SNL, and we deep dive into it. We talk about sketches and episodes. We have guests. It's, it's the best. I love doing the SNL podcast, and the response has been great. And if you don't subscribe or you don't listen, you should. New episodes drop every Wednesday, or you can hear it daily at radiomisfits.live at 9 a.m. Central. Anyway, Kristen sent me a note and said, Hey, Nick, thank you for shedding um, light on that episode of Saturday Night Live. Uh, talking about the episode with Sinead O'Connor. I remember watching that, but I didn't understand the context. Now I have a better understanding of why Sinead O'Connor did that, and I agree with you. The treatment of Sinead O'Connor after that episode of Saturday Night Live was completely wrong and unbelievably hypocritical, and that's Christy. So that's the kind of thing that you will get. I did an entire episode uh, dedicated to that moment where Sinead O'Connor tore up the picture of the Pope and how it completely changed her career afterwards and how it changed SNL and live TV. That's the kind of stuff I focus on, in addition to talking to writers and, and to two performers and, you know, talking about all the funny stuff. But I like to get in and deep dive how, you know, culturally SNL affects the world. And that episode with Sinead O'Connor um, and the Pope, uh, that's out there now. So you should check it out. So my thank you for Christy to listening to it. And she learned something from listening to it, which you should do, too. So anyway, having a great time doing these two podcasts at Radio Misfits. And I love this podcast. And I love uh, Dan Feinberg. And we're going to talk TV with Dan right after I tell you that you should be congratulated. Congratulations. 
You're about to listen to the Nick D podcast. It's by far the best decision you've made today. It makes the other podcasts seem like crap. Oh yeah, don't be a jaggle. And that somewhere else, of course, is being the lovely land of Lala. That would be Los Angeles. My guest is Dan Feinberg. He joins me every other week as a regular here on the Nick D Podcast. TV critic for The Hollywood Reporter and writer and great guy in general. And he has a website and a blog and a, and a podcast and all that stuff, which we call The Fine Print, F-I-E-N, because that's how he spells his name, thefineprint.com. So welcome, Dan. Hi, Dan. What up, Nick? How are you, buddy? Oh, keeping my head above water in a in an ever-changing city and ever-changing media climate. The usual. Wow. Okay, keep my head above water. I thought you were uh, you're going to start singing good times there for a nope. second, but nope, nope, nope. Okay, all right. I think because you were a TV guy, I thought you were just going to immediately launch into the theme from Good Times, but you didn't, and I'm kind of grateful. It's it's Monday. I'm not feeling at my most musical today, <laughs> if we're being honest. Right. Well, it's technically Tuesday, but that's okay. We'll, we'll, yeah, sorry, yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry. It's definitely it's definitely Tuesday. But Thank guess you. what? Thank I you. still won't be feeling musical on Tuesday. So, uh, wow, continues. you know that ahead of time. That's great. Uh, let me just preface this by saying because I've been uh, a lot of my time has been spent at the Music Box Theater at my at uh, the uh, Chicago Critics Film Festival this entire weekend and continuing this week uh i was not able to catch up with this week's barry <gasps> uh, yeah i know and i i haven't i purposely tried to st- <laughs> wow that response was unbelievable <laughs> <laughs> did you literally lose your breath dan no, is that what i I, ga- I gasped i inhaled yeah. uh you know, you like for example, I, la- uh, last week's episode. You texted me before I'd had the chance to watch yeah. it. Well, I, which I, which you did not spoil anything, so all was well. Uh, yes. But this week, I made sure that I watched this week's episode of Barry ahead of time, figuring yeah, at the very least. I know, I know, it's only a half an hour, but I wanted. I when when I got home uh, last night. All right. Well, obviously, we're taping on a Monday. So. <laughs> uh, when I got home last night, it was very late, and I was at. Um, the Chicago Critics Film Festival for over 12 hours. Oh, God. Um, and I saw five movies. So I was really tired. So I went to bed. And then when I got up this morning, I had to switch. I had to do a couple of things and switch a few things around regarding this podcast so that I could do something tonight. So I did not get to watch it. And I wanted to give it my attention. I didn't want it. Like last night when I got home, I didn't want to be out of it and completely tired. You know what I mean? And not off or anything while watching it. Um, Does that mean was, you also haven't watched Succession this I week? I have not or? watched Succession. No, I've not watched boy. any. Of the, I did not watch. Okay, Jesus Christ! I didn't know. <laughs> no, I didn't watch any of the Sunday night HBO. I have not watched any of the Sunday night HBO. I didn't watch John Oliver because it's not on, which we're going to get to as a lead story. Indeed. Uh, next. But um, but I you know I have a tendency to like if I'm laying on my couch I'll fall asleep. I'm old now, and if especially if I'm sitting in a theater you know for twelve hours, 
And I didn't want to. I didn't want that to happen while I was watching either of those shows, especially Barry. I love Succession, but I'm. I was more concerned about Barry. And um, they and, and both shows do require a certain amount of concentration, yes. and they also uh, have and bring with them a certain amount of built-in anxiety, which you might yes. not necessarily want at as an end of the evening. There, that's exactly why I watched. Down. That's exactly why I didn't watch it. So. So I apologize. <laughs> Fully understand. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and I'm excited to see those two shows, particularly Barry, uh, which I, the, the, episode, the, the, the episode at the end of last week's episode, when I texted you, I was like, what the hell is happening? <laughs> um, and uh, I don't want to know anything that happens in the episode. I'm going to watch it tonight when I get home from the festival tonight because I, I, I will not have sat through five movies. Okay, that's a little – that's different than two which I'm going to sit through tonight. So five is a little different. You know what I mean? It's less draining. To sit no, I, I, I honestly, I understand completely. And the thing is, both episodes are really, really good. But neither episode has, I don't know, neither episode to me at least feels like it has a clear, here's the thing you need to, to hide from on social media okay. angle to it. Okay. So you should be okay. And I'm yeah. not going to spoil anything for you. Okay, it. great. Well, I'm looking forward to it. But I did... Like you gasped when I said that I didn't watch Barry. I gasped at the end of Barry last week, the the week before last. Uh, at the end, I'm like, "What the hell is happening?" You know, <laughs> which is why I texted you, and you hadn't watched it yet. But I didn't. I'm glad I did not ruin anything for you. You ruined um, absolutely nothing for me, other than that there was something gasp worthy in Barry, which is not he- necessarily a surprise, right? Or head scratchy is it's more- true. Yeah, and it was very, and it was both and it was both probably yeah. and and this week's episode <laughs> continues along from okay, there. Okay. There we go. All right, well cool. Well, so we won't be talking about Succession uh, or Barry. And we won't be talking about John Oliver. You see how I'm segueing? You see this is why I'm a, well done. Why well I'm, done. Pre- I'm a professional Dan. I got a you know, I got a couple of awards when I was from the, on the radio. They're sitting on a coffee <laughs> table right now. They're very very impressive. Anyway, um the reason why there was no John Oliver last week tonight this and by the way, uh the last week's episode of of uh of um Last week tonight it was particularly amazing for me because my favorite movie of all time is Magnolia, and I almost <laughs> literally crapped my pants during the last ten minutes of it. I I was just lose for people who don't know. Explain what the bit was that they for people who might not know. The bit was that there is some <laughs> that there there is some company that does plumbing and toilet repairs and their gimmick has been a series of commercials wherein they restage different classic movies around basic plumbing (laughs) structures and so john oliver in that particular john oliver style offered them uh both the national exposure on on the television, but also some amount of money to the food bank in that city. So, you know, made one of his altruistic gestures. And this was not one of those, uh, you're horrible people were mocking you kind of things, which he also does frequently. It was a, we're actually amused by what you do, but could you, (laughs) but would you be willing to make a commercial sight unseen based on the movie that we suggested? And so rather than doing something that would have been problematic or impossible to do, like saying, here, make a parody commercial around Schindler's List, they decided to ask them to make a parody commercial around Magnolia. And they absolutely did it and did it with a very 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 specific eye for detail and yeah it was impressive i I was was impressed i was beside myself i was beside myself and and this is not the first time that john oliver has 
made done a tribute or referenced Magnolia. He seems to love that movie, um, genuinely. And whenever he does, and he's done it on many, like at one point he completely acted out and recreated um, Julianne Moore's meltdown in the in the pharmacy. He 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 recreated that out of nowhere. Like suddenly he was doing the monologue that that Julianne Moore says, "Shame on you!" monologue from the pharmacy scene in Magnolia, and he did that. And so he's loved the movies, dropped hints at it here and there, and I've read about how much he likes the movie. But for him to send them that in an envelope, here's the movie that you have to do. You have to, you have to do a parody of Magnolia. I literally, when he said, we chose Magnolia, I was on my couch. I went, oh, my God. And, and, <laughs> and the resulting re, – is it Regency? Is that the name of the – I don't remember, yeah. which means that the they only the company. Did, they only did so well, apparently, putting the name of the brand out there, or yeah. my brain simply doesn't retain things like that anymore. Anyway, this this plumbing company did a hilarious job recreating it, and and uh, and also what he failed to mention within that deep dive satire that they did, parody that they did of of Magnolia, like throwing in, as he pointed out, magnificently weird details and very specific moments that are that are jammed into this, like minute commercial but the, he also did, he failed to to uh, also throw in that on top of that if they wanted to get even deeper they recreated a moment within the magnolia moment that was also a moment from fargo uh where william h macy because william h macy is in both magnolia and fargo william h macy is mag, you know manically scraping off his car in the parking lot with the ice scraper in fargo He's doing that with the air conditioning system outside. Uh, the character who's playing William H. Macy's character in, Mar- in, in Magnolia is scraping off the thing with a, with a scraper. Uh, but it has nothing to do with Magnolia, but they just threw a Fargo reference into <laughs> it, it, in there, too. So that's so, you know, like kudos to these guys uh, at the plumbing company for doing that, like throwing in a Fargo reference within a Magnolia uh, joke. So. They are unquestionably nerdy, and I am sure that they appreciate you being on their nerdy wavelength. <laughs> yeah. But anytime Magnolia is mentioned anywhere, I lose my shit, and, and, and especially if it's something that magnificent. So anyway, uh, but I did mention that. But that, anyway, that's John Oliver, who was not on this week and was scheduled to be on this week, and maybe people noticed Saturday Night Live was supposed to go live this week with Pete Davidson, but it did not, and that's because of the Writers Guild. The WGA is on strike. Um, what are your thoughts on that in general? And maybe explain to folks who might not understand what's happening and why the writers are striking. Um, it is it is definitely a very involved thing. And so I, I will be only doing a summary of it, of course. Uh, and people can obviously go to The Hollywood Reporter or their trade publication of choice, which should be The Hollywood Reporter, uh, to get more details. But yeah, basically every three years... The Writers Guild's deal with the AMPTP, which is the negotiating body of the studios, uh, the deal comes up and has to be renegotiated. And most of the time, the deal is renegotiated with some tension, but without an actual strike. But of course, people will remember that in uh, that in 2007, there was an extended multi-month Writers Guild strike. And... The internet has been full of lists of things that have been impacted by the strike, by that particular strike, and how that kind of changed the industry. And that strike came at kind of the beginning of the streaming era, perhaps a little bit even before. But it was kind of acknowledging, okay, here is what the internet has done to impact what the writers are getting and expecting to get from the studios. Here's what they need to negotiate. So very big deal. Uh, 
this comes obviously at a significantly later point in the streaming era and a lot of things that you've heard people discuss either in the trades if you happen to listen to my weekly uh, tv's top five podcast that i do on fridays um etc 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 so uh you'll you'll know some of the details which include things as obvious as wanting better residuals uh <laughs> from the streaming landscape so many many writers have been posting things like the one or two cent checks that they've been getting from streaming residuals for their shows uh you know and so if you are a writer in Hollywood, particularly a television writer, the syndication market and the rerun air and the repeat market used to be a large source of income. And now it is a virtually <laughs> useless source of income. Yeah. So there's that as an obvious thing that they're going for. Uh, mini rooms are a particularly big issue. So the difference. And we, I'm sorry, a, which, which one was, are, is an interest? Mini, mini rooms, M I N I hyphen rooms uh, okay. for writers. Uh, so in that case, what the issue is, is traditionally American television has had many, many episode orders for television shows. So broadcast TV shows with 18 to 22 to 30 episodes as their orders. And they've had writers rooms of between eight to 10 to 12 people. And those writers rooms have run for many, many months because of the process of having all of those episodes to turn in. And now the trend in recent years has been towards smaller rooms, four, five, six writers, uh, with obviously less episodes, with obviously less time writing. And so as a result, it's been harder and harder for um, more and more writers to get steady work. And so that has been a an issue of some concern. There also are kind of the future-looking issues like what the role of AI is going to be and and what studios and networks, et cetera, can do regarding AI augmenting or taking over some of the responsibilities of writers. Obviously, for the Writers Guild, it does not behoove them to have an artificial intelligence computer system uh, and algorithm writing stories, nor probably does it behoove the audience to have that. But so, yeah, so those are a lot. Those are a few of the large issues. It obviously all comes down under the heading of uh, writers want a living wage and some writers are obviously doing spectacularly well. There, you will not find anyone finding pity for Ryan Murphy or Greg Berlanti or Aaron Sorkin or whatever. But this strike is not about them. This strike is about uh, younger writers who can't find the positions that they found a few years ago. It is for slightly older writers who have credits but can no longer live on those credits because of the decline in residuals. Etc. So they went out on strike on last Tuesday, I believe, or maybe it was last Monday. I've sort of lost track of all the days. And it involves picketing, obviously, at the studios around both uh, Los Angeles and New York. But it has also begun to shut things down. You mentioned last week tonight with John Oliver. Uh, all of the late night shows have at least temporarily called it quits Uh some of them will probably find workarounds as things get later. Others of them will not. If people go back to 2007, some of the writers uh, or some of the late night shows rather stopped entirely. Others kept working under shady auspices. Some of them did strange and 
almost entirely improvised and structureless shows. Like you go back and watch some of those Conan O'Brien episodes from that time. And, yeah. and they are just, they are just spinning wheels and, and time. Uh, there was a clip that people passed around of him uh, sp- literally spinning his wedding ring uh, around and around and just right. watching it spin for right, a minute. That. And that was that, that was yeah. how they filled the space because you don't need a writer for that. Right. Um, but then there have also been the other things that have been directly impacted. Sunday was supposed to be the MTV Movie and Television Awards. Uh, Drew Barrymore was supposed to host. She said that she did not feel comfortable with the live hosting part of the show. Good on Drew Barrymore. Uh, so instead they ran a show that was kind of a mixture of pre-taped things and and new stuff without writers uh i didn't watch because i don't care so i don't know yeah i didn't but watch I either <laughs> but i know it listen if i if i didn't if i didn't watch barry in succession i'm not going to watch that <laughs> totally totally <laughs> and and then the and then the news has extended in the past week to productions that allegedly are going to be staying in production so uh hbo and house of the dragon have said that they're going to be continuing to go forward that uh all of the scripts for season two were completed so whatever they're going to go forward but then other shows very very big ticket shows like uh like stranger things on netflix pretty much netflix's well, one of Netflix's biggest shows uh, yeah. has said that they do not feel comfortable going forward because, as the Duffer brothers say, quite frankly, if you are in production on a show, things that are writing responsibilities will come up every single time, and they don't want to run the risk of basically crossing a production picket line. And so, yeah, yeah but, but basically, it's turning everything upside down and... Uh, it's it's the biggest story there is in Los Angeles and in entertainment at the moment. There's no question about it. And, and even, you know, you mentioned some other things and even stuff like um, the premiere of uh, the Michael J. Fox documentary was canceled because Michael, it was, it was I, I guess if I'm not mistaken or something, if it was at Universal uh, yep. and he would not cross the picket line. And so they, ca- they canceled this documentary, this huge uh, documentary that's opening uh, at, you know, I, I know it's, it's got a few the- theatrical releases this weekend and it's going to be on apple um and that's still the documentary about michael j fox and they canceled that because yep, of they they uh lot, lots of events and and everyone's kind of trying at this point to figure out where the limits are and what the rules are and how the rules impact different people with different job titles in different ways so several of the studios have already let uh, showrunners know that they need to continue to do production-based responsibilities and chores, uh, and they've sent threatening letters from their legal teams, etc. And most of the showrunners who who I know of have said, yeah, no, we're, we're not doing that, uh, because once again, many things that fall under the responsibility of producers are also writing-related tasks. It's the right. nature of the television business. And so... And so, yeah, no one no one necessarily knows who can promote what and where. So, uh, the podcast that I that I plugged a couple of seconds ago, TV's Top Five, we are at least temporarily putting our weekly showrunner spotlight segment on hold because we don't know who we don't know who's able to do it at this point, and we don't want to give any impression that people are going around the guild or anything like that. Basically, sure. as long as 
as long as the image suggests that it might be improper, we don't want any part of that. So sure. makes sense. Uh, so yeah. we are going guest free at least for the foreseeable future. And you but know, you are going to you are going to continue to do the podcast though. TV oh, top five, absolutely, because the the rest you know the podcast the interview is one segment and it's yeah. a big it's a big segment. Some weeks it's you know forty five minutes to an hour of the podcast, but even still, uh, we will we will not be doing. That segment last week, uh, Leslie has been on the on the picket lines talking to reporters. And so last week we ran a bunch of audio from the interviews that she did there. Mm-hmm. And I think the mm-hmm. plan is to do that at least for the next couple of weeks as well. But otherwise, we're going to continue to do the podcast because it's mostly topical. And so we'll be able to talk about what's happening with the strike each week. And then yeah. fortunately, there's still plenty of television. Yeah. So and that's so TV's top five. I want to make sure people know TV's top five. It's at the Hollywood Reporter and it's every Friday. It drops every Friday. A new Correct. episode. And it will continue. You will you will keep people up to date on what's happening with the with the guild strike. And so on and so forth, and and do more TV talk as well. But that's TV's top five Hollywood reporter. You can check it out. Also, all of this stuff we talk about at the fine print. F I E N. Now, um, as you mentioned, not only was uh, you know Conan O'Brien spinning his wedding ring around, um, but we were inundated with uh, the creation and uh, the you know the the proliferation of of more stupid ass reality shows and weird little game shows and things like that. Um, is that going to happen now? Are we going to suddenly get more reality television and stuff like that where you don't really have to pay writers? It's going to be a thing that is going to be discussed, but it's harder to exactly get a feeling for how much it's going to, quote unquote, proliferate because of the specific timing of this. The 2007 strike began in November. So it began in the heart of the season back when sweeps periods actually meant something etc and uh and so as a result there was much more of a need to keep the lights on at a time when there was expected to be regular programming well now because of how much streaming stuff there is and because of the very different production schedules that streaming companies go with because they often premiere with all of their shows at once or four of their episodes at once or whatever um, it a lot more stuff is in the can. And so at least for your Netflixes and your Amazons and your HBOs, et cetera, they're going to be mostly business as usual for the next little while. But also the broadcast season is coming to an end anyway. And so the broadcast networks will all be done with their programs in, in May. That's That's how this goes. And all of that stuff was in the can. Plus everybody knew, even if, things were averted that this was at least a possibility. So everyone made sure that they had their end of the season stuff already. And then we're moving into summer where, as everyone knows, reality kind of moves to the center anyway. And yeah. so, yeah. you know, your your favorite show, uh, Big Brother, will be unimpacted by this. They, in fact, did a rushed season of Big Brother uh, for January back in 2007 um, because I, yeah, I remember it, it was because it was a thing that they could do. And, yeah. but I don't, but I don't think that there's going to need to be more of that because so much of it happens to already simply be in the can. And the summer is the place where you would have seen that anyway. Now, when you get to September and October, if this has continued into the depths of the summer, yeah, there, there will absolutely on broadcast TV, but also really 
everywhere else, there will begin to be less available programming. And that will be interesting to see how much of an impact it has. But again, unlike the last time the industry shut down, which wasn't that long ago, and it was 2020 and it was about COVID, people people can still remember that. Yeah. Uh, no one had a way of, of anticipating it. There, there was absolutely no way that anyone was going to know, okay, there's going to be a global pandemic that's going to change the way the entire world goes about its life for three years, three plus years, etc. So it's not like people ran out of stuff early, but people began to scramble a little bit more quickly and, you know, push things later in release schedules. Uh, one thing we've begun to see is just last week, and this was just a, a very, very small deal, Amazon announced that the Summer I Turn Pretty, which a perfectly decent YA adaptation series that premiered last year and the second season is coming, it the first season premiered in binge form. The second season is going to go to a weekly rollout, which is the kind of thing that allows the streamers mm. to elongate the programming a little sure, bit. Of course. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we're going to see a lot more of things like that. I think probably come June and July, we're going to see, uh, you know, if, if Netflix has two shows releasing in a week, it makes no sense to do that. If they're in the middle of a two month strike, maybe have one show this week, one show the next week. You know, I think we're going to sure. see that happening. Yeah. And yeah, it's it's going to be it's it's going to be desperate because that's what that's why you go on strike is to make sure that people feel and notice the difference. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, obviously, I'm in the writer's corner on this completely, obviously. Um, and I, we're not going to get into all the details on, you know, what the complaints are and why the strike is happening in detail or anything like that. But it's it's a it's a you know, they're, they're striking for a legit reason, um, for uh, not a legit, many legit reasons. Um, and so, but it's an impact. And as you mentioned, uh, you know, we're, we were it, it, on the movie side of things, things starting to feel, they were just starting to feel almost kind of close to normal in terms of things being released and big, you know, like, hey, well, let's take a look at, you know, like, oh, how good is, you know, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy going to do at the box office. This was stuff that was ignored for, you know, a year and a half, two years, you know, tracking box office and people going out to movie theaters and, you know, a, a schedule of big movies coming out that was starting to kind of return, you know, uh, kind of to normal production wise and, and in terms of what was going to be scheduled. And now that's going to be um, interrupted as well. And it was just like, oh, we're starting to get rolling again. And now... Here's another an, uh, another problem with the with with that uh, thing. So, absolutely, it's uh, it's it's definitely there. There was some amount of normalcy that had been restored, and now, yeah, now yeah. now people are are walking the picket lines, and yeah. and yeah, that's how well, it goes. <laughs> we'll keep we'll keep track of it. I'm I you know I'm, I'm talking about it on the podcast. You will be talking about it on your podcast, uh, TV's top five at Hollywood Reporter, and you you guys have obviously the Hollywood Reporter is going to be you know covering this. Uh, closely, so we'll can, we'll see what happens as it goes on and how it impacts television. Every time we talk to you, we'll we'll mention it and see what happens as we go on. So, um, but let's uh, let's now. I did watch an HBO show last week uh, uh, that I, uh, that White House Plumbers. Um, now, has there been two episodes yet, or is that tonight? Right, I think tonight. Excuse uh, me, tomorrow last night. Last night. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yes, episode two. <laughs> right. Episode two will have aired last night. I believe that is the yes, appropriate and correct verb. Yes, there. which I did not see. Uh, so I did see the first episode of White House Plumbers. 
your thoughts on uh, on the show. You've seen you've seen every episode, correct? I have indeed. It is a okay. five episode uh, series, and it is uh, created by Alex Gregory and Peter Hike, uh, who are both veterans of of Veep, among other things. And all five episodes were directed by. David Mandel, who was showrunner on Veep after Armando Iannucci left, but for much of the show's home stretch. Yeah. And it is it the latest attempt to tell the Watergate story from a, a slightly different angle. And we've gotten to the point now where we've seen pretty much most every angle of this story, not all of them, but most every angle. And the last attempt to tell this story in narrative form was gaslit on stars, which was just a year ago. So it hasn't been that long since we've seen this cast of characters and this cast of bumbling misadventures. Uh, this version of the story focuses particularly on the so-called plumbers on the, the Watergate burglars with uh, e Howard Hunt and G Gordon Liddy played respectively by Woody Harrelson and Justin Theroux as the as the two main characters um it, to me this was kind of i I think this was probably a 90 minute HBO movie that has been expanded without necessity to 5 hours that that would be my basic overview is that if you just want to focus on these two larger than life figures who are absolutely, you know, we're, we're not bags and, uh, and you couldn't write characters like Howard Hunt and Gordon Liddy. They, they were real yeah. and they were like this. Uh, if you're going to put them at the center and not have any kind of still point around it, it's better for my money to do it as a as a movie and in, in the sort of game change or recount vein yeah. rather than a five episode series. So I was already fatigued by the perspective that they took here after an episode or two. I, I you know, and that's not to take anything away if I, from either Woody Harrelson or Justin Thoreau, who I think are both absolutely going for it like crazy people here. They are as committed as you could ever want two actors to be to playing these characters. Uh, but there's no center to it. And without a center, as as Yates will tell people, uh, the, the, without, the center cannot hold without something stable in the middle. And there's nothing stable in the middle. And it kind of becomes increasingly blundery and increasingly buffoonish as it goes along as the history did i should notice yeah and note but by the finale when it tries to get you to take a lot of this seriously and to tie the story into modern things i was not buying it in particular and mm. the cast is just utterly full of spectacular actors yeah. who are being completely and totally wasted here and uh and I began to be annoyed by how many great people were being given so little to do. And that got to me. What did you think of the first episode? I laughed a lot, um, I have to say. But I, you know, like, you know, when it was over, I'm like, I don't know how much, like, you, you know, I, I didn't read your review till after I watched the first episode. And uh, and then when I read your review, I'm like, yeah, that's kind of what I thought was going to happen. You know what I mean? Like, because <laughs> when I watched the first episode, I'm like, going to do this for five more of these or four more of these? Really? Um, and yeah, there's a really, no, I mean, I, I guess the, the, uh, I don't know what I, I, my, for me, like the, 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 
the person that I wished that it was told from the point of view was Judy Greer's character. Uh, uh, for some reason, <laughs> I kind of latched on to her the most, and she plays uh, Gordon Liddy's wife um, in it. And uh, so, anyway, I don't. But yeah, I agree with you. But but I will say this: I did. I laughed my ass off during a lot of it. I mean, that dinner party scene where you know the 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 hunts come over to the Liddy's house is one of the funniest things I've seen on TV. One of the funniest scenes I've seen on TV in a long time. And the whole, like him playing, you know, Hitler speeches loud and climbing out the window and the kids. I thought all of that stuff was spectacularly funny. And I love Woody Harrelson. I love Justin Thoreau. And I think they're both very funny in this, but I can't, you know, like you said, I mean, after, after I watched the one episode, I read your review and I went, yeah, that sounds about where I thought this was going to go. And absolutely, there's funny stuff. Again, I am I am nothing but but enthusiastic about the two leads and a lot of the supporting performances, even with very little to do, are are amusing in their own ways. I think it's I think there's a great part for Lena Headey as uh, Howard Hunt's wife. I think she's yeah. great. She, yeah, yeah, yeah. She you know she's she's great too. I should have said that. I should the two wives I think were the best grounded characters in what I saw. I think so. Uh, now yeah. you have to keep you have to keep in mind that that Gaslit kind of was supposed to be that kind of thing because its perspective yeah. was primarily Julia Roberts and Martha Mitchell, uh, but then there was a lot of stuff for Betty Gilpin as as John Dean's girlfriend, right? Etc. There were there were a lot of of the here are the somewhat sane women on gotcha. periphery okay. as opposed to this, which is primarily here's the craziness at the center, craziness, 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 craziness. And then just all of these people who have like one scene, some cases, barely any scenes like Kiernan Shipka from Mad Men, who her most recent credits are a couple TV shows that she was the star of. She's one of Howard Hunt's daughters. She has nothing to do it is Mm. it is comical uh gary cole pops up in one scene in one of the first couple episodes and he's playing mark felt and if you know who mark felt is and the role he plays in this story it's a rather big one and you think okay they're gonna get gary cole into this a little bit later because it's a big role he's playing nope he's got that one scene and nothing else you go along a couple episodes F. Marie Abraham pops up in a couple scenes for no reason, just nothing there. Uh, there's a bunch of stuff like Kathleen that. Turner. Kathleen Turner's in it. Kathleen too. Turner is in the second episode, and she is a great part. It really is a great part for Kathleen Turner, and it's it's only a one episode part, but she's one of the people who has stuff to do. Yeah, and some people, and and I'm going to admit, uh, her first scene, I did not recognize her at all and then she was just in a movie yeah. that, that she was just in a movie called the estate with uh tony collette and uh, anna ferris hmm. uh a few months back which was a black comedy about them uh the family trying to get her money kathleen turner plays the crazy old rich lady and it yeah you know, it's like it was like greedy but with different characters <laughs> gotcha greedy. gotcha particularly fun david david by the way david duchovny particularly hilarious in the movie and kathleen turner played the evil rich matriarch and she was hilarious in it and it was a when and she was not very recognizable in that. Like it took, I mean, I knew she was in it, so I knew it was her. But she's not as recognizable as she once was. Yeah, she's not. She was. Uh, she was on the Kaminsky method for its last season, and I right. thought she was really, really good right. in that. And and it was a lot of fun to watch her and Michael Douglas uh, sharing yeah, scenes in, sure, in that show. It was course, it was very yeah. entertaining. And here it was simply an example of the first se- of the way her first scene was shot. I was like, okay, I don't necessarily yeah. recommend recognize who that is. And then the second time she popped up, I'm like, ah, it's Kathleen Turner, right? And right. I was very, very happy with that. So, like, her, I got no problems. She totally, they give her enough to do. But most of the people, for 
for me. I, I thought were somewhere between wasted and insufficiently used, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah the feedback that I was checking out, uh, you know, on my cohorts in the social media world was negative, man. After the first episode, a lot of people were like, ooh, uh, that, that was the vibe that I got from, you know, communicating with people who had watched that first episode. It's just, it's tough to, look, uh, we all loved Veep here, uh, and yeah, Veep was a sh- and Veep was a show that absolutely was about here are a bunch of genuinely often awful people enjoy them. So there's no reason why you can't do a show like this focused on Hunt and Liddy. Sure. It just doesn't feel like they got the angle exactly right, and so I, th- I think there's a lot of fun to be had watching the performers. Just it, I was I was tired by it much earlier than I would have yeah. liked to have been. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to watch the other four episodes of sure. course. Be, and, and, but I, like I said, I did, I laughed a lot during that first episode. Um, and I, and I, and I had a, an inclination that when I read your review, I'm like, yeah, I, that was the, that was the feeling that I got after the first hour. Um, but you I, but I did, but I'm not going to say that I didn't laugh and I don't appreciate some of the talent that's on that screen. Cause there's a lot of great people in it. And I think that for a lot of people, that talent will be enough to carry people through. Yeah. It, so. Okay, cool. Uh, you did review Silo, um, which I'm interested in, uh, mainly because of Rebecca Ferguson, because I love her. Um, and uh, the the trailer for Dune Part 2 came out last week, and I wept when I watched it uh, because I'm so excited about it. And I love her so magnificently in Dune, and, um, and basically in almost everything she does. I think she's great. And she is the star of uh, Silo, which is on Apple TV now. Uh, can you please uh, tell us what you thought of Silo? I can. Um, And you would not know that she was the star of it if you watched only the first episode or two, but she is absolutely the star of the show. Uh, The show is, it is adapted by Graham Yost, who people will know from Boomtown and Justified and, and other various things. He is a great writer and a great showrunner, and he is adapting here the novel series by Hugh Howey, and it is one of those dystopian post-apocalyptic things where society has been reduced to X number of people, in this case, apparently 10,000-ish, and they all live in a vast underground silo with 144 levels and a huge spiral staircase down the middle, but no elevators for reasons that are a little confusing. Uh, but... Yeah, so the it's it's one of those stories where nobody exactly knows what's happening outside. Is it really toxic outside or is this all about an authoritarian regime that's attempting to to install control? Right. And so it's it's like a, an extended instead of three people, it's a bunch of people, but I'm thinking 10 Cloverfield Lane is <laughs> the first thing. I mean if, it's, if that's it's one, the thing. It's it's one guy controlling two other people, but <laughs> in a seventh day, but this is an much bigger thing <laughs> and there's there's some of that sure okay uh, all right <laughs> but yeah so so the the stuff with the world building and kind of explaining here's here's how the silo operates here's how this society which is heaven knows how many years into existence in the silo uh here's how it functions and then of course as always in shows like this people begin to ask questions and people asking questions are the people who are upsetting the status quo and thus they become threats to the regime and blibbity blobbity blibbity blobbity. <laughs> uh, the first episode kind of sets up the hero of the show as being the, the sheriff in the silo who's played by David Yellowo, who's very good. Uh, his wife is played by Rashida Jones. She's got 
technical skills and she begins to question things and her questioning becomes infectious. Rebecca Ferguson plays a mechanic who works down at the very bottom of the silo who has a connection to a collector of relics, that being things from the before times, uh, who is who either commits suicide or is murdered. And so a murder investigation is instigated around that. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a pretty solid show. It's, it's a show that has real problems with its focus. Uh, lots of times, you know, and, and part of that is intentional. Part of that is they keep introducing you to characters who you think, okay, this person is going to be very big and important. Okay, guess they're not big and important, etc. So that's kind of intentional. But sometimes the show loses focus on what mysteries it's trying to solve and, and how it's trying to solve them. And there were large stretches that I just wasn't engaged with. Part of the problem is that Common plays one of the bad guys. And, and Common is, at this point, I feel as if we can confidently say a limited actor. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, he's, yeah. I, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm being generous because I think that, that part of the reason why people keep casting Common is because he is unquestionably um, compelling to look at. He has yeah. a distinctive presence and a distinctive look that you can put in a frame and people can go, okay, no that's Common. Yep. He's that. But yep. when you ask him to actually do things and to anchor drama, he really cannot do it. And this is a definite example of a part that if it had been played by somebody with more gravitas, with more emotional range, it might have helped the entire conflict of the series come become more valid. Uh, Rebecca Ferguson is really good. She's, she's intense. She's occasionally funny. Uh, she is doing... God only knows what accent. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of American, but it is entirely inconsistent. But then there are also a bunch of various foreign and British actors who are also there doing inconsistent accents, from David Yellowo to um, who else is in this? Ian Glenn, who people will recognize from many many things. Harriet Walter, all kind of doing flat, generic American accents, just not any of them doing them consistently. So, but, but I was engaged enough by this. My, my review was, was on the positive side. Uh, A lot of the stuff with a show like this is, you know, that there are twists coming as they begin to reveal things towards the end of the season. Are they going to be stupid twists or twists that are going to make you want to watch more? I will say that the twist at the end of the first season is interesting enough that I am curious to see more and did not insult my intelligence. So how many episodes of silo are there? Uh, there are, let's see, there are 10 episodes of roughly an hour apiece, and it's, it's, a, it's a lot, and it, it occasionally drags. Sometimes it's, it's very exciting. Uh, the first few episodes are directed by, by Morton Tildum, uh, who is very, very much a, a director who tends towards kind of leaden and self-serious, and probably I wish parts of it had moved a little bit lighter on their feet, mm-hmm. uh, but it's it's interesting and it's and it's it's hard sci-fi people people are always happy to get a little bit of hard sci-fi in their lives and, and yeah. this is yeah. a decent version of that okay all right uh all right well i'm i'm interested in that uh, apple tv plus silo i've not uh, 
not gone into that one yet, but I am a I am one of the founding members of the Rebecca Ferguson fan club. I've been a fan of hers for forever. I love her, so I'm excited to see that. Um, before we let you out of here, have you seen Sisters on IFC yet? I have not seen Sisters on IFC yet. I know that it is co-created by Sarah Goldberg, and yeah. it, the, the the tiny tiny bits I've seen of it make it look a little bit like a semi-comedic version of the show that her character on Barry produced for uh, <laughs> for that yeah. network. And yeah, <laughs> and, and so like a, like with with more winking and nudging, and so therefore less. Um, clearly bad no I, i'm definitely curious about that one i'm yeah I'm looking forward to hopefully finding time to check it out yeah i'm looking forward to it as well uh, because i love her and the commercials uh you know because i i have a tendency when there's nothing else on television if i'm flipping around to just put because uh, ifc tends to show parks and rec like 18 hours of a stretch and so sometimes i'll just put it on just because it's parks and rec and every commercial break they show something and i love huh. her i love her and i love ireland so i was immediately drawn to this you know, this woman going to Ireland to find her real father and how she uh, 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 hooks up with her half sister. Um, so, yeah. And, and I found it. I found that I found the commercials. to Well, they worked on me like every commercial break. They show it. And I was like, OK, I think I need to watch this. And I didn't know whether you'd seen it or not. No. And, it, and it's interesting because uh, because I don't watch IFC very much and I don't have it on in the background and I've seen no promotion at all for it. Yeah, and then yeah. it just kind of popped up on the release schedule for for next week at some point. Yeah, and I was like, oh, week, that's it, yeah. that's at least interesting. I think Sarah Goldberg is uh, is one of the best parts of Barry. Uh, she's particularly Absolutely. good. She's particularly good in this Sunday's episode. That is all I will say. Uh, yeah. And yeah, so I'm, I'm looking forward to that at some point. Well, it's, yeah, and it's weird because I don't normally, I, I, who, does anybody watch IFC? Does it, I mean, do, I mean. Um, I think there's a lot of stuff on it that some people watch, though in most cases, I feel like probably people wait for the shows to come on on Netflix or something. Like, for example, Documentary Now is one of the best shows on TV. It oh, yeah, a, yeah. It is a brilliant and wonderful show, but I also kind of get the feeling that a lot of people have no idea it's an IFC show and only watch it in streaming yeah. later. So, And I think that's the case with all their stuff. That's a good point. I think that's an interesting point because nobody really watches IFC because the pro, you know, it's, like, it's like you know we're going to show Everybody Loves Raymond for 10 hours and we're going to show you know, Parks and Rec for another 18 hours and every once in a while one of our regular shows will be in there. Um, and that's how, I mean, the only reason that I had it, like I said, the only reason I know about it is because I just, I had Parks and Rec on. It's like, oh, that's like comfort food. Here it is. I can watch in the background. I can have a repeat, a repeat of Parks and Rec on because it makes me laugh. And then during the commercial breaks, they got me. <laughs> I was like, that's... oh, sisters. Okay, cool. You know. And see, and see, that wouldn't happen if you watched uh, Parks and Rec on whatever its streaming home is at the moment. Yeah. At the moment. Similarly, if you watched... I don't know if you watch Brockmire episodes on Hulu, then you would not necessarily know what was happening yeah. on IFC. And, yeah. and yes. So, yeah. so, so sisters, sisters with a capital S and the, the end, end and yeah. the beginning. So, yeah. So who knows what that means? But anyway, uh, I, I, br- I bring it up only because, you know, obviously I think it looks interesting and funny and it was, I was inundated with commercials while I watched that. And, and both of us really enjoy the Sarah Goldberg cause she's damn good and great on Barry. So, yeah, uh, I, I am. I am very curious, and and hopefully we'll be able to chat about it in in okay. two weeks. Anything you're looking forward to for our next visit? Is there anything that you, that's on the docket that you are prepared to watch? On the docket, nothing so much. Um, I did 
email you on Friday about Bubkis, yes. and I will be and I will be curious to get your response on that. I assume that you were unable to get to it because of the busyness of of the and weekend. Right? Also, because the 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 Peacock uh, subscription that I have access to is at my parents' house, which I did not visit this week. Uh, <laughs> so, and I and whenever I go over to my parents' house, I'm like, hey, uh, let me watch a little Peacock, and I will I will wipe out uh, I will watch out I will wipe up Bubkis the next time I'm there. And as, uh, as I told you, and as I will tell the listeners, the first episode is bad. And uh, okay. and I understand the principle behind it, but it is a bad episode of TV that is a bad introduction to what ultimately is a fairly interesting and sometimes really, really good series. You just have to get through the first episode. The second episode is markedly better. So, so once you get through the first into the second, you'll go, okay. Right. Now I'm here, and I appreciate, uh, I, but, and I really appreciate the text. And for people who might not know, this is kind of loosely based on uh, everything is loosely based on Pete Davidson's life that he does. I guess, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. you know, he's he's, he's definitely it, pe- people are fascinated by Pete Davidson, yeah, they and are. so yeah, 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 yeah. and so he's giving the people what they want, whether right. it's uh, whatever the adolescent movie was. I keep blanking on what its actual the name King was. King of Staten Island. King of Staten. Well, no, the, no, there, there was the there oh. was the. Oh yeah, the other one. Uh, yes, sorry. there was there uh, was the one that came first, which is yeah. actually from one of the directors slash co creators of Bubkis. Yeah, so shit. I can't remember. Yeah, you're right. Okay, I'm blanking on it too. <laughs> adolescent. It's something adolescence. I'm right. just blanking yeah. on what yeah. it is. Me too. Um, Me too. And so so there's there's a lot of similar uh, vibes, and and there's a lot of similar vibes to King of Staten Island as well. And yeah. I think it's I I think that once the show gets going. It's really interesting. There are some very good guest uh, stars who, who probably it's better if they're not spoiled for you. So try yeah. to I, not and be I, spoiled. I, I know it's loaded with cameos, uh, so yes. I'm, I'm looking forward to to that. And uh, so very cool. Anyway, but I will watch it. I promise you. In the next time that we speak, I will have probably watched the whole thing. So looking forward to it. Also, okay. you know, you can you can just watch it in the slot when you were going to be watching SNL anyway. Easy peasy. <laughs> right. Exactly. Now there's I no no reason for that. Luckily, this does not affect my SNL podcast. I can continue. Uh, with my SNL perfect podcast. and I hope and I hope people t- I hope people turn to that podcast now in absence of new SNL there you go and by the way the next one that drops tomorrow is all about fart face do you remember the uh, the sketch I fart face don't think I do <laughs> who, it's a will forte it? will forte and oh Bill Hader. god um, and it's fart face and it is a it is a sketch that took place in uh, October of 2008 on the episode where Sarah Palin showed up and Amy Poehler was pregnant and wrapped on update and right in the middle of that is this uh, sketch called Fart Face that was Josh Brolin was the host. And uh, it was met with deadly silence from the crowd. And yet there were two sequel sc- uh, sketches that were written and performed months later. So, um, huh. I, yeah, I have yeah. apparently <laughs> repressed the whole well, darn thing. That's why I'm doing an episode on it was because it's like a sketch that bombs somehow turned into a trilogy. <laughs> perfect right and from the mind of will forte and john solomon so therefore it's insane so anyway anyway that's so that so see stuff like that is why it's not going to affect my snl podcast the, the strike so there you as go. long as you got material excellent I, I got it all right dan thank you so much uh, for joining us we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks looking forward to it okay buddy take care that's dan feinberg he's the best uh the hollywood reporters where you can find his stuff and uh all together with the podcast at the fine print f-i-e-n He's a great, uh, great, uh, great guest. And you know who else is great? Esmeralda Leon. That's her. Esmeralda. Yeah. Esmeralda Leon. Yeah. Esma. I'm talking about that Esma. Esmeralda Leon. 
Love me some asthma. Asthma real delay home. Yeah. Yeah. That is. Esmeralda. That's the theme song we hear whenever we are going to talk with Esmeralda. Hi, Esmeralda. Hello. How are you? I'm doing good. How are oh, you? I'm all right. I'm okay. Good. Well, you know how good it is. Good to know. It's, you know, we're, it's May and all kinds of things are May in it. Yep. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but uh, I will tell you this, though, man. Yesterday, as we record this, yesterday, um, it was about 80 at around mm-hmm. 10.30 a.m., because I went to the music box. I've been spending a lot of time at the music box for the past week. Not the past week, but the past weekend and now leading into this week for the Chicago mm-hmm. Critics Chicago Critics Film Festival is happening and I'm there every day. And uh, so when I left my apartment on Sunday at around 10.30 a.m.-ish, it was like mm-hmm. 80, 80 degrees. And I had like a, a hoodie on and a sweatshirt and stuff. So I went back into the apartment. I took it off and I just put like a little light little shirt on. Right. Over my T-shirt. And I walked out, and I was fine. And then it must have dropped 40 degrees <laughs> in the time. Because when I got out of the theater at night, I was like, holy shit. I mean, it was like. Yeah, it got pretty It got pretty chilly. Yeah, man. So, But it's spring in Chicago. Do you have a favorite season? Do you, do you have a favorite season? I, uh, I, like, I like spring, and I like fall because they're chillier. Yeah. But not too chilly. I got gotcha. you. can still wear a light jacket. That's what yeah. I like about it. Uh, sweater weather. As, uh, as, yeah. um, well, not sweaters, as, but like okay. just like a light, a little light jacket or something that you can just put on and, and it's not too bad. On uh, Bronx Beat, that SNL sketch with, uh, with Amy Poehler, mm-hmm. uh, Amy Poehler and uh, Maya Rudolph, when they talk about, yeah. oh, it's fall, it's sweater weather. Oh, sweater right. weather. <laughs> I always think of that. My favorite, my favorite time. I, I, my favorite time is fall. That's my favorite time, and um, and I like wearing a sweater. I like when there's a little chill in the air. It's around fifty-five, sixty degrees. I'm, I like that. Yeah. No, it's perfect. I think. Yeah, I agree. I love it. I love it. And and but of course, I've always been made fun of because like fall is like when everything dies. Like, of course, you love the season when everything's dying. Yeah. Well, but it's like. It's not that it's dying. It's yeah. hibernating. Yeah. And it's beautiful when the when the leaves change and they fall. I love that. I love the leaves mm-hmm. all over the, the crinkly leaves on the ground. I dig that, man. Yeah, I like exactly. It. Of course I don't have a lawn that I have to maintain. <laughs> right. Well then that's the that that's the yeah. plus. <laughs> yeah. I live in an apartment building, so I don't have to worry about like raking or, you know, pruning or any of that kind of shit. So Yeah. Uh, so I like it more, but now that's that's my favorite time of year, and I, I and I appreciated that it got down to forty, but it was fucking cold waiting for a bus. Let me just say that, right? <laughs> so should have been a little more. Uh, what do you call it? Uh, yeah, there you go. Prepared. Yeah, I guess I should have been prepared, but I don't know. I, I, but I and I had to wait, like you know, because it was like I was just we're we're recording this on a Monday morning, and it was like a. Uh, Sunday night at like 10 and you know your buses mm-hmm. don't your buses come every 20 minutes on a Sunday night at 10 and so yeah so it was it was a little chilly yeah anyway but it's been fun uh seeing all my friends running around like maniacs uh running the Chicago Critics Film Festival well that's and, nice and I love not I love <laughs> not having to have any responsibility but just to be there and joke 
and stuff like that. I like Yeah, to, and just to enjoy it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't have to worry that the that celebrity guests are here. I don't have to worry that it's running on time or clearing the theater out and making sure people are happy. I just stand here and make fun of these jagoffs and watch movies. So <laughs> there you go. But it's been fun, man. It's been fun. Well, that's your job. See? Yeah. Yeah. And the people at the music box are all pros and all that, you know, like Eric and Steve and Colin and Peter and all the guys who are running the the festival are doing a great job. I'm just mm-hmm. proud of them. I found like I see like an old man, but I'm proud of these guys because I've been doing it for I've been a part of this association since the beginning, like in the late 80s. These guys are younger than me. You know, I'd never have the patience or the balls to put on a film festival. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm, I'm way past that shit now. I'm 57. I'm like, nah, I'm not going to. You guys can handle that shit. I'll just watch. But uh, but they've shown a couple of good movies. Uh, one particular is called Birth Rebirth. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the director is uh, Laura Moss. And they the this is their first movie, uh, full length. They did a short. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did a short a few years ago that was shown at the festival. But this is their first like full length movie, and it is a full on body horror, David Cronenberg inspired, David Cronenberg inspired madness. Oh goodness! And yeah, and <laughs> Laura Laura's just lovely, um, and they're going to be on my podcast. Uh, the film opens in uh, August, and uh, nice. and I loved it. It was my favorite movie so far at the fest. We had a great time having a conversation. I you know um, I said to them, uh, "Hey, David Cronenberg," and then they said, "Yeah, I r- totally ripped off Dead Ringers." <laughs> <laughs> You got me. Yep, uh, <laughs> totally ripped off Dead Ringers. And then Laura and I had a really cool picture taken, and uh, yeah, we exchanged info, and now, you know, they're going to be on my podcast. I'm very excited. That's my favorite movie so far. Oh, cool. Yeah, Birth Rebirth, my favorite movie of the of the fest so far. Nice. So yeah, and not more. A lot more coming up too. Uh, so been busy doing that. How long? When does it end? It ends on Thursday, May 11th, and it started on oh, the okay. 5th. So it runs a full oh, week. Wow. So yeah, there's still. Still yeah. lots of time yeah. to go yeah. see movies. Yeah, and their closing night is a movie called Theater Camp, which mm-hmm. is a which is about a, a a summer camp putting up a piece of theater. And uh, I've seen the short film that it's based on. It's, this is an extended version of that, like the, the mm-hmm. actual movie. I've seen the short film, and it's fucking hilarious. Anybody who's ever done anybody who's ever gone to a summer camp or done theater will lose their minds. <laughs> and uh, and that's the closing night. So anyway, and then oh, but the big fun. opening night film, the big opening night film, which actually opens Friday in theaters, is Blackberry, mm-hmm. which is the movie about the creation of the Blackberry and how. Oh right, yeah. In the late '90s slash early 2000s, it was you know the businessman's best friend, and it dominated the phone market for years. Mm-hmm. And then when the iPhone changed everything, it bombed. And it's about that. And Jay Baruchel is in it. Um, and they had Matt Johnson, the writer, director, and star there for the Q&A on opening night of the mm-hmm. fest. And I did not like the movie. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I'm the only person. Everybody loves it. And I'm the only person that I didn't like it. It, it played to me like it played like um, if the USA Network mm-hmm. made, made a made-for-TV movie version of the, the social network and it followed an episode of Suits. That's what this would be. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it felt like... Yikes. I, I enjoy Burn Notice. Let's watch this movie about Blackberry now that the same guy's made. That's what it feels like to me. USA Productions. <laughs> That's what it feels like. It felt like that. Like a, like a USA production 
of uh, the social network made by the people yeah. who makes made by the people who make suits. That's what it felt like to me. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. But everybody else loves it. Everybody else thinks it's great. I, you know, yeah. and, a, and a very similar movie came out this year already, the movie Air, which was about the creation of the Air Jordan mm. shoe. Mm-hmm. And that was a movie that covered the same kind of thing. It was, a, it was a movie that took place at a specific time, this being the 80s for Air, and in Blackberry, late 90s, early 2000s. Um, and it's about uh, these goofballs trying to launch a product um, that will make them millions of dollars, and the odds are against them. So it's the same kind of thing based on a true story, but Air mm-hmm. is nine thousand times better. <laughs> so I don't know, but people like it. It comes out Friday, and I'm sure it'll do well. And it, I'll tell you what, everybody yeah. in the audience, the place was packed for opening night for the fest. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was the only grumpus. I didn't like it, and <laughs> while while they were doing the Q and A with the director, I just went over to Diagostino's and got a couple slices of pizza. So I was okay. Oh, well, there you go. That was, was good. <laughs> a nice little break. Yeah. So anyway, any anything happen over the weekend? Did you see Porter the deaf dog? Uh, I did not. No. Oh no, no Porter! Was... It was a Porter free no. weekend. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um. Okay, well, we're going to be talking about some dark lyric stuff, but we have uh, a magic megaphone thing. My mm-hmm, dad is mm-hmm. my dad is going to tell a joke, of course, and... Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, and I love Nick's hi. show. Hi, Carrie. How are hi, you? Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, hi. and I love All Nick's right. show. She's here. She's making T-shirts on the back porch. Oh. So, what are her know. T-shirts today? Uh, well, uh, I didn't like Blackberry either, is what she's in. <laughs> wow. That's her. She's supporting me. In, in, well, look at oh, okay. Oh, yeah. so she made you a shirt. She did. She made me a shirt. Okay, says, I, yeah, I see. Exactly. Got it. Even though I didn't like, <laughs> even though I didn't like Cocaine Bear, she's forgiving me. Right. So, uh, you know. Maybe. Yeah. Not everybody's tastes are yeah. the same. She That's knows true. that. Very true. So, uh, and we do have uh, my dad is coming coming by to tell a joke, as I said. And uh, let's do the magic megaphone thing real quick. This because ve- this mm-hmm. one's actually really really funny. As you know, if you ever request for me to speak into the magic megaphone, a joke, a line from a movie, you want me to play something, whatever, it's all up to you. Anything you want spoken and regurgitated through the magic megaphone, leave your request, nickdpodcast at gmail.com or 773-417-6948. All right, so this is from Carla, who lives in mm-hmm. Pingree Grove. Mm. Pingree Grove, which is not very far from where Orion Samuelson lives. Oh, it's not, it's not very far from Orange And my ex-mother-in-law, my second ex-mother-in-law, oh, wow. uh, lived in Pingree <laughs> Grove for a while. And so this is Carla, and I will play it and then explain it. But this is what she wanted mm-hmm. me to say slash act into the magic megaphone. Here it is. You ready? Mm-hmm. There we go. Oh, my God. It's a bat. Oh, my God. It's a bat. Oh, my God. It's <laughs> so, a bat. Oh, my God. So, it's a bat. Right. Oh, my God. It's a bat. Uh, oh, okay. All right. Shit. Um, so as you heard, oh my God, it's a bat. Yes. Carla walked out to her garage in Pingree Grove and heard a little noise, um, and flipped on the light and there was a bat in her garage. Oh God. (laughs) I feel like that's a thing there though. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's kind of far out, right? It is. Pingree Grove's out there. Um, I've so you never get, heard you get I've things been, like bats and yeah, I don't know, I've been there. I've been there mice. when I was married. I'd been there several times to visit my mother-in-law mm-hmm. uh, and uh, you know, it's out there. It's a, it's a track. 
Uh, I'd never, in the time that uh, I went out there, I'd never encountered a bat. <laughs> so, right. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's a perfectly lovely suburb that's a trek from Chicago, but I guess mm-hmm. there are more bats in Pingree Grove than there are um, in the city, I guess. I don't know. Uh, yeah, well, I don't, yeah. I know bats live in Chicago. Mm-hmm. I just, I don't know. Uh, have you ever encountered a bat, Esmeralda? I I think I have. Mm-hmm. I, I think I remember people saying that there were some bats once. Like, because, you know, they only come out at night, really. Yeah. And, you know, it's dark, so you can't really see what's going on. But somebody, right. somebody had said it was. I mean, I believe it. I don't, I don't really know what the, the circumstances for bats yeah, like the conditions, they the conditions upon which, <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I know that they have to like sleep upside down, and they and they enjoy right. They enjoy dark dampness. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing that I really know. And they freak me out. They're one of the few animals that absolutely freak me out. Uh, yeah, they're gross. <laughs> yeah, and I love them because they're so such a an ingrained part of horror. Uh, you know, iconic. Yeah. You know. You know. And and and. And so I love them, but they they absolutely freak me out. Like I mean, I've I've seen live bats and they fucking freak me out. Yeah, it's those wings. It is in the face it's and like the whole skin. Yeah. They're just they're and they're I mean, they're they're terrifyingly beautiful creatures, but they freak me out. You know? Yeah. Um, no, completely. And the, Some yeah. are cute. Some yeah. look cute, like up close. Like if you look at their faces, oh, they yeah, just look go, like oh, little dogs or whatever. But And then it's like <laughs> That's it. It's you running away yeah. into into a wall, running into a wall. Oh yeah. <laughs> so Carla freaked out. Carla freaked out in her yeah, Pingree Grove. I would too. In her Pingree Grove garage when she saw the bat flying around, and uh, so basically, like she opened up the garage door and it flew away. So it wasn't a big deal. It didn't. Oh well, that's well, that's good. Yeah, it wasn't like it sometimes stayed in there. they'll just freak yeah. out on you. <laughs> once she opened the once she opened the door. Now, how it got in there, I don't know the story about how it got in there. Uh, uh, she did scream for her husband, who did not hear her. Um, oh, <laughs> as she of said. Course. But, but, but anyway, all she she screamed for her husband, and then opened up the garage door, and then the bat flew out and it was gone. So it was not a big mm. traumatic. They didn't have to call anybody. They didn't. Nobody got bit. Right. Nobody's a vampire Thank now. Goodness. Yeah. So anyway, all right. So <laughs> and it's just it was just a little. Ow! That was it. I mean, yeah, and I don't know. I yeah, I I don't think they're you know they're like most animals where they're just scared too. Yeah, of course they are, <laughs> but they're but they're so like they're so scary looking and creepy. Yeah, you know that it's hard to get over that. And then yeah, you can't. You my can't... thing is just go be scared somewhere else. Right, I don't, yeah, I'm right near me. Right, exactly. And but you can't just do this. Get the fuck out of my house. You can't do that. I mean, you can, but I don't know if they'll listen. Because they're, because aren't they're they bats. like they they go by sonar? Yeah, they're right? sonar. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. they're blind. They're blind. Bats are blind. Right. Yeah. Ugh. yeah. <laughs> that even makes them crazier, man. They're crazy creatures, and I don't know. I mean, I like yeah. them, but I don't want them near me because they freak me out. Yeah, man. yeah, yeah. Same, same. So Carla, her bat problem at this point has been solved just by opening a garage door. So there you go. Yeah. Pingree Grove. It could have gone quite, quite wrong. We are now going to refer to Pingree Grove as home of the bats. That's what they're. Yeah. Uh, so. That's what I. That's what I'm assuming. I should call my ex mother in law up and say, "Hey, did you ever have any bats?" <laughs> <in your uncle?" laughs> you Actually, you know, bats? I shouldn't. I shouldn't call her. I should probably. <laughs> that's something I shouldn't do. I should call Orion. 
Just hey, Orion. Yeah. Get any bats in your area? Yes, I do, Nick. He could tell us. Yeah. And he's probably, knowing Orion, and I picked them up and threw them away because I'm Orion. You know what I mean? Like, he can pick Pick up bats. Even bats don't want to fuck with Orion. You know what I mean? Like, he's like, we're going to go. Yeah. Like, oh, God, we're in the wrong place. We're in Orion Samuelson's house? Oh, my God. I got to get out of here. This guy's too cool. So, anyway. All right. Um, a couple of quick voicemails uh, that I want to mm-hmm. catch up on. Again, if you have questions or comments and you want to send a voicemail uh, for this podcast or my other podcast, because one of these is about my other podcast. Uh, no, it's not. I'm sorry. No, it's not. It's not. But if you want to send a, <laughs> you want to send an email for my other podcast, you can <laughs> or uh, whatever. It's nickdpodcast at gmail dot com or seven seven three four one seven six nine four eight twenty four seven. The voicemails are open. So on the last uh, episode, Jim Ryan was my guest, Esmeralda. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we talked music, uh, talked about interviews that he did. He did an interview with John Oates from Hall and Oates. Nice. He mm-hmm. uh, inter- interviewed the band Inhaler. The lead singer of, of that band is Bono's son, who's now in his 20s and looks exactly like Ooh. him. Uh, so he did that. And he went to see a Stone Temple Pilots concert, a free one that was after uh, a Milwaukee minor league hockey game, which was depressing. Oh, God. <laughs> <sighs> uh, but we talked about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And the fact that, again, mm-hmm. Warren Zevon Warren has not fucking been inducted. Um, and we are both huge Warren Zevon fans. And this was the first time that Warren Zevon was included on the ballot for voting. But, of course, he didn't make it. He finally made the ballot after being mm-hmm. eligible for years. But he still didn't get in. And Jagoffs like Bon Jovi are in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame while Warren Zevon isn't. Hmm. Um, so, a voicemail from uh, a buddy of mine who is a regular listener... Charlie, uh, who is the bass player in, in he, who plays in a bunch of different bands, but he's in Androgynous Mustache, the band that does the Warren Zevon tribute concert every bir- every year on his birthday, on mm-hmm, Warren Zevon's mm-hmm. birthday. He's an old friend. He listens to the podcast r- religiously. He's an old buddy of mine, and he left this voicemail after he listened to me and Jim screaming about how fucking stupid the Rock and Roll <laughs> Hall of Fame is. <laughs> yeah. So here it is. This is Charlie leaving a voicemail. And again, you want to leave a voicemail for my podcasts? 773-417-6948. Here's Charlie. Hey, Nick. It's Charlie from uh, Androgynous Mustache. Warren Zevon, tribute artist extraordinaire. So you know what I'm calling about. Of course, it's the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And of course, Warren was not inducted. A real quick thing. Warren has actually, uh, horrifically, Warren has actually been eligible since 1995, uh, less than 10 years into the uh, Hall's uh, you know, years of being, because his first single was in 1969. Uh, by the way, uh, the Rock Hall, uh, this is just a horrifying fact. I don't know if this will make you feel better, but the Rock Hall voters are comprised of record executives, record music journalists, and former and, and now inductees. So that means that everybody in Bon Jovi gets to vote for people. So maybe that explains it. Uh, things are things are looking up. The fact is that like Warren and Tribe and Cindy Lauper have been nominated, which is something that didn't happen. Oh, also, Jan Leonard does not run the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame anymore, which is probably the reason why Warren's popping up and other good people are popping up and are all fighting for these spots. So um, things are looking up. Uh, I'm, I'm giving them a couple more years. It took them a couple years to nominate to get Todd in, in the hall and a couple years to get Pat Benatar in the hall. Um, uh, so they, they'll get – Warren's been on the ballot. It's going to be good. Trust me. I mean, you know. I, I know Warren, so uh, but yeah, he, he's been eligible since 1995, and Eric Clapton was in three times before that. So uh, yeah, and Bon Jovi's it. So what are we even talking about, right? Anyways, buddy, uh, have a good one. Great podcast. Enjoy it. See you later. 
All right, that's Charlie uh, giving us some more information and facts about. Yeah, so hopefully, maybe. Yeah, he's hopeful. Hopefully next year. Yeah, he's hopeful. Yeah. And Char- Charlie's been playing in Androgen, but he's one of the biggest Warren Zevon fans in the world. He's also an amazing mm-hmm. musician and a very nice guy. Uh, but yeah, he wanted to, you know, to comfort me a little bit. He's like, it's going to be okay, even though Bon Jovi votes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. When did Bon Jovi get in? Two years ago, I think it was okay. two, or th- two or three years ago. Jovi, and they got. Say, they, maybe we should petition Bon Jovi to vote for Warren <laughs> Zevon. Uh, they got voted in the first fucking time they were eligible. They got. They were a first wow. time. Yeah, it's unbelievable. I mean, they suck. So I don't know. Anyway, uh, so anyway, Charlie reassuring me that indeed at some point Warren Zevon will get in. It's starting to look better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, all right. Now, the other voicemail that I have to play here, Esmeralda, this is really funny. The other day, I'm walking down Southport towards the Music Box Theater mm-hmm. uh, to go to the Chicago Critics Film Festival. This was on uh, Saturday. Walking down, and the theater next to you, now, you know the, the live theater next to the Music Box is the Mercury? Mm-hmm. The Mercury mm-hmm. Theater. And they are currently doing a show called Big River, which is a musical. Okay. Okay. And uh, and you walk and if you're walking southbound on Southport towards the music box, you pass under the marquee of the of the Mercury Theater, you know. And as I'm walking, all of a sudden I hear Nick, and I recognize the voice. And it's Bob Kessler, newsman, oh, former wow. pro- and former producer, you know, from WGN, yeah, who still works at that stupid ass place. Um. And he's like, Nick. And I'm like, oh, hey, Bob, how you doing? And he's like, hey. Because Bob is a musician. He's, he plays harmonica. I don't know if you know that. I mm-hmm. think you knew that, right? Yeah. You knew. So Kessler yep. played harmonica. And he, and he is part of the band of, of uh, Big River. Oh, that's so he, nice. he's performing at the Mercury in the show. And so as I'm walking down the street, he grabs me. He's like, hey. And I'm like, oh, my God, how you doing, Bob? I'm sorry that you still work for those fucking idiots uh, at that <laughs> terrible radio station. And so, you know, and then we talk a little bit. And he says, hey, listen, uh, I, I sent you a message, and I didn't get it. I sent you a message uh, that someone came to the show, and we talked afterwards, and he was a big fan of yours on Overnight, when you were on Overnight. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yes. And, and he's like, yeah, he loves you, man. And I, and I said, well, did you tell him about the podcast? You know, and that he shouldn't be listening to WGN, and he should be listening to our, my podcast? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I told him that you had a podcast. And, uh, and he's like, hey, you know what? Can you sign an autograph? And so I'm like, yeah, sure. And so we went into the theater and we grabbed like the playbill thing for the play. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. signed an autograph for him, for this guy who was a, a, a big fan. And, and Bob Kessler was like, oh, this guy's going to go nuts. He's going to love it and blah, blah, blah. So here's what the guy's name is. Are you ready for this, Esmeralda? Okay. This is the guy's name who I signed the autograph for, who was a big fan of mine, and God bless him. His name is Cesar Romero. <laughs> As Interesting. Far, as okay. far as I know, he's not the Joker, right? Uh, and as far as I know, yeah. he's also not dead. He's like he's a, he's not that season. Remember? I mean, that'd be interesting if he was somehow yeah. still here. Yeah. Well, and also <laughs> if if Caesar Romero was a fan of mine, Jesus Christ, would that be the greatest thing ever? <laughs> so anyway, this guy's name is Cesar Romero. And I t- I'm like, Bob, you're joking, right? I'm like, Kessler, you got to be joking, right? And he's like, no, his name is Cesar Romero. So I signed uh, an autograph to him, you know, to Cesar Romero. And, of course, I made a joker joke, you know, mm-hmm. in it. 
And then I was like, hey, you know, uh, you don't have to listen to WGN anymore because they suck. You can listen to the Nick D podcast at Radio Misfits, you know. And I signed it and everything. So here's a voicemail, Esmeralda. I got a voicemail from Cesar Romero. <gasps> not, not from the grave. <laughs> right. But are you ready? This is Cesar Romero. After having that encounter on Southport with Bob Kessler, my old friend from the car wash, uh, I signed the autograph, and here is a voicemail from the one, the only, Cesar Romero. Hey, Nick, the studio, Cesar Romero here, long-time listener, first-time caller. I, I listened to you back when I was a young little pup, back when I was 9 or 12, where I used to stay up late listening, waiting for your, um, for your show. And, I, and calling you right now actually triggered a little childhood memory. I remember I tried to call you once back in the day. Uh, I'm not sure if I remember if it went through or not. Either way, Bob Kessler had told me that about your info, and uh, thank you for the autograph, and uh, I'm really happy to hear that you're still kicking. Um, take care. Have a good have a good show. There's Cesar Romero, everybody. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> Wasn't that nice? That was very nice. That was very, very nice. And uh, thank you to Bob for getting that uh, autograph to the guy immediately, because he yeah. left that message the day after. So Bob got that message wow. from him right away. So anyway, it was fun to see uh, Kessler. I've, I've always liked Bob. He was, you know, he started mm-hmm. out as producer of Steve and Johnny's show. Oh, really? Yeah, that's how he started. He was produ- he produced Steve and Johnny's show for a few years and then uh, went away for a while and came back in the newsroom. And uh, I don't. I know he's on. I don't know whose show he's on because I don't listen to that stupid ass station anymore. But, um, uh, but I know he's still uh, he's on. I think he's on regularly. So I don't mm-hmm. know when. I couldn't tell you when. But Bob Kessler, very nice guy. Uh, so anyway, uh, so I met a Caesar Romero over the phone. Well, very nice. Do you enjoy? <laughs> do you enjoy the Joker? Is the Joker one of your favorite Batman villains on the? Uh... Um. Yeah, I like the more. Uh, I like the more silly one, the Cesar Romero one. Yeah, I like the um, uh, the um, Jack Nicholson one. Yeah, from the from the and then Mike Michael yeah. Keaton. Yeah, and also from the animated stuff, I've seen some clips of uh, Joker and how they play him there. No, you know I who, haven't seen you know who does the that voice? Joker movie. Yeah, well, you don't have to. It sucks. Uh, you, you know who does the voice for uh, the Joker in the animated series? Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it's Luke Mark Skywalker. Hamill. Mark Hamill, yeah. <laughs> He's fantastic. Fantastic. Um, but yeah, do you know, and on the Batman TV series, which, you know, is awesome, do you have favorite villains? Do you have, like, oh, I could. I've I'd never watched enough to remember oh, okay. <laughs> any right, of the okay. villains. Because yeah. because Burgess Meredith as the Penguin is one of my favorites. Yeah. And yeah. My favorite, I think, is Frank Gorshin as the Riddler. He's. I think he's my favorite. He is Frank, pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Frank Gorshin as the Riddler is my favorite. I mean, and of course, Cesar Romero is a fucking legend. You know, and uh, and I'll take that Joker over any of these other Jokers playing the Joker. Your little Heath, <laughs> your little Heath Ledgers, and your little Joaquin Phoenixes, and all that shit. Just yeah. 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 So, but anyway. All right. Uh, so deceptively dark lyrics for songs uh, and misinterpreted lyrics. Are there any that pop out in, in the article that, we, that we're that we going to be talking about here that where you're like, wait a minute, that song sounds like it's happy or people sing along to it, but it's a really pretty twisted little song. Are there any ones that pop out uh, for you? Um, I would probably have to say... <laughs> Um, the BG staying alive. Yeah, I didn't know it was so 
sad. Yeah. But I guess that's kind of how disco goes. Where and you it's can also put in these sad things, and then it's like, yay, let's go dance. Right, right. But it's also, <laughs> but pe- I think people forget what a really dark movie Saturday Night Fever is. Mm-hmm. What a yeah. really dark movie, and what a really horrifyingly awful character Tony Manero is. Like an insane racist, like borderline rapist. You know what I mean? Like, it, and it, obviously the movie mm-hmm. takes place in the seventies and the disco, you know time where things were much looser and and behavior horrible behavior was much more accepted then than it is yeah, now yeah um but like you go back and you watch saturday night fever saturday night fever is a very dark movie with a very depressing ending um <laughs> you know people forget that because like the disco took off and everybody's like yay mm-hmm. disco but yeah, everyone a- loves the dance scene and him yeah. walking yeah but-, <laughs> but it's a fucking dark movie and it's a great movie yeah. it's a really great film but extraordinarily dark and and Esmeralda you weren't alive when it came out but when it came out it became so popular and you know this that they cut up they cut together a PG rated version so younger people can see it because the the original version was rated R and it was loaded Mm -hmm. with nudity and horrible like racial slurs and f-bombs everywhere and and because disco took off and it was, you know, like kids and everybody was dancing and buying and millions and millions and millions of records were being sold to everybody of all ages, they cut the movie down to a PG version so families could go. Mm. And, and that version... I like t- the idea that families are going to see stuff. They did. They When it, when it came out as P... When Saturday Night Fever came Fever. out, when they released it as a PG movie, it made millions more. And I mean, and that version is horrendous because, I mean, it, you know, they cut everything out. They cut everything out, and the only thing that's left are, like, the dance scenes and the disco stuff. And yeah. so the movie makes no sense. The PG version is like, what? <laughs> but, yeah, I think people forget just how dark it is. But, like, you you mentioned the Bee Gees. Like, what, the lyrics in there. So it's it's all the way at the end. Yeah, yeah. Which I guess makes sense because you're like, oh, this is great, and this is fun. And then it just pretty much ends with life going nowhere. Somebody help me. Somebody help me. <laughs> yeah. Over and over again. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, but, and, you know, no one notices because, you know, the VGs have voices of angels and they're, everyone's exactly. just enjoying the. <laughs> exactly. Everybody's happy about it and everybody's happy about it. And that was, that's kind of consistent with the movie because the movie's very dark. It's one of the mm-hmm. most troubling and dark and really great coming of age movies of all time. Um, but, yeah, people forget that, just how, how really dark and twisted that movie is. Uh, yeah. And how really despicable Tony Monero is and his friends. I mean, they're horrible. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, that's a good one. Cause it's the Bee Gees. Yay. Look at the, listen to the harmonies. And... <laughs> yeah. It's just fun. We're dancing. Yeah. Now here's another one that's on there. Uh, do they know it's Christmas? And this line always killed me. Do you know the line, um, in the song? So do they know that this Christmas was the uh, Band-Aid thing that Bob Geldof from mm-hmm. the Boomtown Rats put together, and then eventually Bob Geldof would be responsible for Live Aid, the biggest worldwide concert you know, event ever, raising millions for starvation and Africa and all that stuff. Um, but first, it started with Do They Know It's Christmas, where they, it was, they took a, a, a ton of very popular pop and music artists uh, of the 80s in the UK and recorded mm-hmm. the song. And... Bono has a line in the song that's a little a little dark. <laughs> Cuz do they know it's Christmas is that song exists in order to they wanted to bring awareness to the fact that there was a massive amount of death and starvation in Africa. Mhm. Yeah. Um 
And so they wrote this song where the lyrics were trying to educate people and also all the money went to the charity, you know, uh, to raise money for starvation in Africa. Um, but here's what it says here. A minute and a half into Do They Know It's Christmas, the 1984 Band-Aid anthem recorded and released to raise money for Ethiopian famine relief, Bono sings this line. Tonight, thank God it's them instead of you. <laughs> <sighs> I mean, he's not wrong, I guess. <laughs> no, no, he's not. You know. <laughs> <laughs> But it was always no. It was always a line because he really because it's Bono emoting too. It's like tonight, mm-hmm. thank God it's them instead of you. Like he really belts it out. <laughs> and at that point, it's like one of the most easily understandable song lyrics. And it's like Jesus, like it's a. <laughs> yeah, you're you're probably thinking it's kind of like a oh, it's a very sweet. Yeah. Song, Christmas, and like, oh, and, it's, and then... It's got Christmas bells in the background. <laughs> ding, dong, ding in the back, yeah. you know. And all of a sudden, there's And then that song. line hits you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. You know, one of my favorite misinterpreted... This isn't like dark lyrics, but it's misinterpreted all the time. You know, um, There Goes My Hero by the Foo Fighters? Mm-hmm. Okay. Here goes my hero. Watch him as he... You know, that whole thing? Mm-hmm. And you know how it's played... Like during sporting events and stuff like, hey, you know, like someone makes a great play and they show the replay a couple of weeks later in slow motion. They do a montage, you know, right. And they play There Goes My Hero. Or if someone does something heroic in the real world, you know, like save somebody or does something whenever they play it back on a special, they always play that song. You know what that song's about, though? Uh, No. Okay, the song is about Dave Grohl from Dave Grohl's point of view. He the song is about a guy who wants to break up with his girlfriend mm-hmm. and, and has wanted to break up with his girlfriend for a long time and has been stuck in this relationship that he doesn't want to be in, but, but feels terrible about breaking up with her. Mm-hmm. Okay. Until he sees a guy leaving her apartment um, from a tryst. Oh. And so now he's got a reason to break up with her, and that guy right. is his hero. Well, so that <laughs> that whole thing, there goes my hero, watch him as he goes, is him yeah. watching his girlfriend cheating, and that's the guy that's leaving, and that's his hero. So now he's got he's got a legitimate reason to break up with her. That's what that huh. song is that's what that song is about. <laughs> it's about a guy who's happy that his girlfriend cheated on him, and the guy that she cheated with is his hero. That's what it's about. Yeah. So it's not a sporting event. You know what I mean? It's Never not making thought a, of that. Never had realized the, that. <laughs> yeah. And so it's not like about saving someone or doing something heroic. It's about a dude who is able to break up with his girlfriend because <laughs> that's what happened. That's what that song's about. <laughs> so every time people play it, you know, when they play it over sporting events or over heroic moments, I'm always laughing mm-hmm. my ass off. I'm like, that's not what this song is about. <laughs> Uh, uh, is there any? Is there another one here at all on the in the article that uh, that uh, comes out at you? Um, I find interesting because I never thought of it this way at all. The turtles happy together. Uh, so the line about how is the weather? I always yeah. just thought I'm like you just couldn't find anything to rhyme with. <laughs> um, but <laughs> right, right, together and weather. That's a good. Yeah, I just yeah, thought yeah. that's what I always thought. I was yeah. just like they just ran out of steam. Yeah. <laughs> they were like, uh, let's throw that in there. Um, but it's really, you know, them. So 
uh, imagine me and you, I do, if I should call you up. And then, you know, they explain it. So, yeah, imagine if. So they're not together. Yeah. He's not happy. And so he's about to cry about it. So he better change the subject. Right. So that's how is the weather? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Never, never in a million years. I've always just thought, oh, you just didn't know how to rhyme anything else. Yeah. And and it is it, it's it's weird too because that song is again an upbeat song and a beautiful song. I love that song. I love it. I love the harmonies. I love when it kicks in, mm-hmm. and it's a beautiful song. But it is a depressing song when you think about the lyrics. It's like oh, we used to be, you know, like a, he's imagining me and you. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's not really happening. Um, but yeah, no, that's that's a that's a great choice. <laughs> But yeah, I I love that though because it's it, well, I can't think of anything that rhymes with together. Yeah, that's what I always thought. I was like, okay, turtles. Yeah, you you got nothing. All right. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Um. Yeah. So yeah, and and that song I always think of. You know, whenever I hear that song now. Hmm. And uh, this began back in 1999, I guess, or yeah. Um. I think of adaptation, the Nicolas Cage Meryl Streep movie. Um, oh okay. Because it's played in that to beautiful, you know, effect, and now I associate that song with that movie. All have there been any any songs that you associate with with things, you know, like movies or TV shows that you think of when you hear a certain song? Because like sometimes, like that song now forever, I always think of. I always think of uh, adaptation. And I know that's happened. I'm, I can't blanking on some of them, but I know that that's the case with a lot of songs. Like if they appear in a movie, suddenly everything changes. Right. Like, you know what I mean? Like the the meaning changes because they were in a movie or a song or a TV show. Yeah. Um. I mean, nothing comes to mind offhand. I mm-hmm. mean, I always think of you know theme show theme songs from shows, um, like Friends. Yeah. Since uh, that. Yeah, that song became so damn popular. It did. It began, and what, who, Rembrandt's right? The Rembrandt's. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was their only hit. Yeah. <laughs> and it's called. Is it called "I'll Be There for You"? Is that the actual title of the song? Uh, um, I couldn't tell you. <laughs> I yeah. think I usually. I'm like, oh, it's that Friends song. <laughs> I think it's. I. I, I mean, I, I think most people. I think maybe the title might be the Friends theme song, but I don't know. If, you know. I mean, it was th- a song. It yeah. was a song before all Bef- of that. Yep. Yeah. So, but I it probably would have been in their best interest to just call it the Friends theme song after yeah. a while because that's all the people know. And, and I mean, there were so, like my, my my favorite movie, Magnolia, is loaded up with you know Amy Mann songs that were mm-hmm. that you know a few a few of which were written specifically for the movie. And her version of One uh, makes you know. So whenever I hear One, even if I hear the original version or the version by Three Dog Night, I think of Magnolia. And yeah. Magnolia also has some Super Tramp songs in it. And so when I hear those songs, I think of Magnolia as well. And I never did before that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> so when you hear certain songs, you know, you know, you know and I'm, I'm, I'm blanking on this right now. This is something I'll look up so that we can talk about, like, songs that were forever changed by the way they were used in movies or TV shows. And, and, I'm, and, 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 and obviously, you know, we haven't talked about this or written anything down. So right now, both of us are blank on this. But if yeah. we think about it, the next time, the next time we get together, maybe we can we can talk about that, like songs yeah. that absolutely changed because they were featured somehow in a movie or a or a TV show or something. So, um, what about um, the Macarena? 
Now, you know, that's the second one. If you, if you want to check it out, mm-hmm. it's number 21 in the article. Mm-hmm. And I guess the Macarena is dark. I wasn't aware of this. Uh, in addition to being, I mean, in addition to being incredibly, incredibly annoying, I guess yeah. the, the lyrics are kind of dark now. I mean, I don't really see it as dark. I mean, I guess. I mean, she's just cheating on him. If if what's kind of interesting is that a lot of these are about like cheating. I guess or not. Not all of them, but a lot of it is. But I yeah. guess that's dark. <laughs> Well, the Macarena. Now, um, so, so what? What's happening in the Macarena? Uh, so she's, the line she's is cheating. Yeah, yeah. She has a boyfriend who's called. His name is uh, Vitorino. And while he was taking the oath to join the military, she was giving it up to two of his friends. Oh Jesus! <laughs> yeah, I was like, wow. All right. Oh my God! <laughs> Wait, this dude was going to fight for the country, and she was like. I guess so. Doing two of his buddies? I guess so. <laughs> wow. And where does the how does that justify the dance? What are you doing? Is that like is is well, the dance Well, the dance there's not the dance isn't it's, there's nothing said about the dance in the song. Right. So you're just supposed to dance like that while you're singing about a girl cheating yeah. on her on her boyfriend. <laughs> oh man. I did not know that. I did not know that that she was she was doing a couple of his friends. Yeah, I think she's supposed to be like in the song. She's supposed to be like fun time, good time, gal. <laughs> right now, is is Macarena just a made up word? That's the name of the dance. That's the name of the woman. Oh, or her name is Macarena. Yeah. Okay, so the woman the the woman cheating on her so boyfriend. So Macarena has a boyfriend. Okay. So her name her name is Macarena. Okay, yeah. Macarena is the is the is the girl. So we're dancing. We're doing the well cuz you know why? Cuz everybody evidently has doing the Macarena. Hold on a minute. Yeah. Oh, see you that? <laughs> Wait a minute now. <laughs> wow, I did not know that. I did not know that it was about a cheating woman. I wasn't aware of that. Wow. Okay. All right. That's something to think about next time I do the Macarena, which you know I do it daily. As there you go. Yeah, yeah. They had, they you have ki- to. Yeah, they've kicked me off the subway several times because I was doing the Macarena. I, you know, it's a good morning exercise. <laughs> it certainly is. All right, all right. Uh, we got plenty more of these dark lyrics that we can get to, and then I, I do want to think about. Uh, and 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 if you want to jump in here uh, to our lovely listeners who want to jump in here, if you have any songs that were absolutely changed because they were featured in a movie or a or a or a TV show. And you always associate them with that. Uh, let us know what you, you know, leave a voicemail at 773-417-6948 or send us an email with your song and movie choice of songs that were forever changed. Uh, NickDPodcast at gmail.com. Uh, all right. Oh, you know what? I think it's time for my dad oh. to show up and tell it. Uh-oh. Hold on. Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, Hi, and Carrie. I love Nick's show. All right. You love my dad's jokes, too, right? Uh, right Hi, I'm Carrie yep, Russell, I know. and I <laughs> love Nick's show. All right. Well, here we go. Oh, it's the best part of the week, baby. It's time to hear something funny. Here we go with your music intro. Ah! It's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. It's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. Nick's dad tells a joke. Yeah. what I say? It's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. It's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. Nick's dad tells a joke. Oh, yes! Here we go! Yeah. 
All right, time for my dad to tell a joke. He stops by every week uh, to tell a joke. Been telling jokes on my shows and now on my podcast since the beginning. So here he is. All right, Dad, are you ready? He just shook his head. Mm, okay. Right, here we go. What's the difference between the government and the mafia? One of them is organized. Ooh. Oh, well. Wow. Nice. My dad getting a little... Wow, getting a little political. My dad... Nice. It's a little political. Wow. All right. There you that go. That was jokey, jokey, jokey time. It was a jokey, jokey, jokey time. Nick's dad told a joke. And he will tell a few more jokes live at Zany's in Rosemont on May 16th. Esmeralda will be out of town, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you'll be winning a ton of money. You're going to come back a billionaire. Sure. <laughs> You're going to come back. Is that how that works? I think that's how it works. I think you're going to come back. kick you out before that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You're going to rain man it. We're counting cards. We're counting cards. That's what you're going to do. I wish. (laughs) But anyway. Not for the math. Esmeralda (laughs) is not for the math. That sums up my life, I think, right there. Uh, Amy Goose will be uh, sitting in for Esmeralda as my co-host. And the very funny Jim Flanagan will be our uh, special guest. And uh, uh, we're going to be giving away some really cool stuff from Apt Electronics and Gale Street Inn uh, and having a great time, as we always do. Uh, it's Tuesday, May 16th, zanies.rosemont.com. Get your tickets now, 847-813-0484. And my dad will tell jokes there as well. So that's a way to do it. So, Esmeralda, thank you. Thank you. And uh, have, a, have a, a lovely uh, week, and we will talk to you again on the Friday. And then mm-hmm. after that, you're going to be uh, going away. Yeah. But through the magic of technology, you will not miss an episode mm-hmm. of this podcast. Isn't that amazing yeah. how we can do that? You know why? Because we have a time machine. That's, that's is that how that works? That's what it time is. Time machine. Okay. You have, you have a DeLorean in Mexico. That you, or you're not going to Mexico. Jesus no. Christ, you're going to Vegas. You have a DeLorean in Vegas. You can jump right in, record the podcast, and then go back to Vegas and win millions. Yeah. So, anyway. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so that's what's going to happen. So my thank you to uh, Esmeralda. Thank you guys for listening. My thanks to Dan Feinberg. Uh, check him out at the Fine Print, F-I-E-N, and the Hollywood Reporter, Talking TV. Oh, coming up next uh, on the next episode on Friday, Mike Kurz uh, and Mia Kurz are going to join us. Nice. They are the lovely couple that run the Flashback Horror Convention, the Flashback Weekend Horror Convention, of which I am a mm-hmm. host f- for many years. But they also run the Midway Drive-In, which just opened this past weekend for the season. Ooh, yeah. And uh, so we're going to talk about the Midway Drive-In in Dixon, Illinois, the plans that they have for some of the special movies they're going to be showing. Right now they have mm-hmm. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 and Ant-Man 3 playing there. Oh, wow. Um, and, uh, and this coming weekend, we'll talk about that. Plus, in addition to that, the big reason, besides flashback and, the, and that, is that, it, get this, Esmeralda, this year marks the 90th anniversary of the drive-in theater. Oh, my goodness. 90 years. That's amazing. Isn't that amazing? So it's the oh, 90th wow. anniversary of the drive-in, so we're going to talk about that and celebrate the drive-in in general. So that's coming up on the Friday show, so make sure you tune in for that. Hey, be a sponsor here. Advertise with us, the Nick D Podcast, sales at radiomisfits.com. Check us out uh, on every platform, rate and review us. We are also live streaming now. Uh, Esmeralda, you know about this. Um, radiomisfits.live is 24 hours of Radio Misfits podcasts and content, free, streaming 24-7. Radiomisfits.live, and you can hear this podcast, the Nick D podcast, 3 p.m. every day, Central Time, and you can hear my SNL podcast every day at 9 a.m. Um, and it's constantly streaming, so check out Radiomisfits.live. And my thanks to Jason Skaggs and everybody else 
for doing that. Um, yeah, and we just started. They just started this ad, and everybody at Radio Misfit very excited about the streaming service now, twenty four seven. Yeah, very cool. It's very very cool. So you get to hear us uh, nine a.m. the Saturday Night Live podcast daily, and three p.m. this here podcast daily. So that's cool. All right. Very nice. All right. Thanks everybody for listening, and uh, we will see you uh, the next time on the Nick D podcast at RadioMisfits.com. <laughs>